Welcome to East End Arts Talks with John Taco and Nick Bavaro. Both accomplished professional musicians, John and Nick are also the thoughtful, insightful, and inspiring guys guiding the next generation of musical artists with Rock That Bandcamp and EEA Rocks. John, Nick, what's it like getting musicians together who've never played as a group before? It's kind of like doing it with anybody else, you know, just these kids are younger and you have to kind of talk to them as if you are a teacher and an educator. But it's ultimately the same principle. You're getting a group of musicians together. You're trying to get them to play something, trying to see what kind of common interests we all have things like that. So it's not really much different from doing it with adults. It's just the language you have to use is different because you have to approach it as an educator, not just as as another musician or as a peer. When you have adults playing music, you don't have to worry about engagement, you know, because an adult who plays music knows that they want to play music with other people. When it comes to kids, you have to make sure that they're engaged the entire time. And part of that is making sure that as much work as we're getting done, there's the same amount of fun that goes into it. If we're sitting there screaming at the kids and telling them that they're doing it wrong, they're not going to want to play music anymore. Music is all about fun and jamming together and, you know, good vibes, really. You guys are both performers. How does that influence your teaching style? Well, since we both have so much performing experience, we're able to bring that in. I mean, sometimes if we rehearse something, we'll say, okay, we're going to play this all the way through as if we're performing it. And if it train wrecks, we just try to find a way to the end. Um, and that's, that's good practice because if you are in a, you know, if you're in a live situation, if something starts to fall apart, you just have to, a lot of the time you just have to plow through. But then on the other hand, you want to, when you're performing, you want to have fun. You're doing it because you love it. And so we want to make sure that they understand that and that they are having fun despite the fact that there is a certain amount of pressure that comes with live performance. There's so many things that I wish I had somebody to like teach me or bring me, you know, show me the ropes and whatnot. John and I have been doing this since we were 13 and 14 years old and we didn't have like a mentor per se until John went off to school for music and he had that sort of mentorship. But there really wasn't any sort of like older person or somebody who kind of knew what they were doing to like show us the way in, in terms of just like, how do you get shows? How do you come up with a band name? How do you do like all these things that you don't necessarily think about when you're starting? All these things come up and through EEA Rocks, we're able to give this sort of advice that you wouldn't normally get in just a normal guitar lesson or a normal drum lesson. Yeah, it's not always just the playing aspects. I mean, we've talked about things like that. We've tried to come up with band names, coming up with song orders. Like, that was one thing that was very, very collaborative. Then Nick and I tried really hard to not always have our dictator hands in, you know? Mm -hmm. We wanted to make sure that they were making decisions for themselves because ultimately it was their band. So we talked about things like naming the band, creating a set list, and things like that. What kind of, what, what are we going to wear when we do the show? Oh. Things like that. Now, you've mentioned naming the band a couple of times, so I have to ask, how do you name a band? I think it's just it's all about a collaborative effort. You know, when John and I, we started a band years and years ago called Just A Few, and that literally just happened because I suggested some names, John suggested some names, and we kind of, like the three of us, there was a third guy. We kind of just, you know, got it down to 
a few and we ultimately decided with one of John's names. Kids are extremely creative and the things that are in their head, they're just very creative people. So we knew that there wasn't going to be an issue with them creatively. The issue was going to be, okay, how do all 10 of these kids agree on something? Yeah. You know? Because even even with the band that we the name we decided, I think there were like two or three that were like, oh, I don't really like this name. But the overwhelming majority did. So, you know, sometimes there's going to be some people who don't necessarily love it, but not every band has 10 people in that situation. It's not something that matters too much just because we had our one concert. And now this semester, we're going to have a new band, whether or not it's the same people, it's going to be a new band. You said something about kids, how they're very creative and imaginative. Do you think that staying plugged into music really helps keep that as a truth for someone? A hundred percent, yes. I really believe that artists need to be able to embrace their inner child and try things that they've never tried, be open to new possibilities. As we get older, we generally start to lose that part of ourselves we become stuck in our ways, we become a little less open to things that are new. And I think as musicians, it's extremely important that we are constantly open to new possibilities because I don't wanna be that one like student I have who is like, he's, he's young, he's, he's like in his 30s or 40s, but he's like, oh, all new music is bad. I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, I, I never wanna, I never want to be that person. I want to constantly be open to new opportunities and new things. And I think as an artist, that's something that is incredibly important. When you were both starting out with your own early lessons, was there a time you thought about maybe through frustration or boredom or whatever that you thought about giving up? And if you did, what kept you sticking with it? Uh, I I think I can speak for both of us that there has never been a moment in our lives where we ever thought about stepping away from music like um (laughs) okay i'll speak for myself then i've never wanted to step (laughs) away from music in fact as i'm getting older i want more and more opportunities with music you know i i've been playing with john since like i said we were 13 so that's nine years at this point going on 10 I love John, but there are other musicians that I'd like to play with too, you know? So dare you? (laughs) And there are musicians that John plays with without me, you know? And I think part of music and part of what keeps me coming back is the collaborations that I do and the relationships that I make with other performers and the students as well. You know, I've formed some very good relationships with these students professionally, and it's great to see them grow, even in the short semester in the short six or seven weeks that we had they became better musicians and i'm excited to see what this seven weeks is gonna bring because i know that they're gonna come out of it even better than they were before just to um give my own answer to that question because it's definitely going to be a little different from Nick's. (laughs) so i went to college for music i went to suny fredonia i studied music composition and jazz and there's a thing that exists Now, are you familiar with the term imposter syndrome? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So for anybody listening who's not familiar, imposter syndrome is the feeling of being an imposter. You've gone through all of this training. You have all this experience, yet you still do not feel like you are part of the club, part of the in crowd. You still don't feel like you can do what 
you say you can do. And that's something that I really struggle with. With teaching, teaching actually really helps me get over that, partly because I know that I am there to help these people and to teach these people what I know. And so I don't think there's ever been a time where I wanted to put it down and stop, but there are definitely a lot of days where there's doubt and that's very normal. There are very few musicians I know who are even professionals who feel that, but I really try to encourage everybody and kids feel it too. I need to stress that. Like we've had conversations with some of the kids who take EEA rocks and they come to us with things like that. And the, the big thing that I at least have stressed is listen, music is a learning is a music is a learning experience. Music is a lifelong learning experience. Nobody knows everything except maybe like Herbie Hancock. So it's okay. We all need to be patient with ourselves and constantly be open to learning more and always understand that it's a learning experience. You know, I think that's something that's really important as educators is to kind of acknowledge that doubt, but also nurture our students in a way that they can, you know, get rid of that doubt. I don't have like a figure, but I know that an overwhelming majority of kids who don't follow through with music or that wanted to, it's usually because somewhere along the line, someone says, you're not a good singer, you can't play this, or you're not picking it up as fast as you should be, and putting that constant doubt into them. And as drum, as a drum teacher and as a guitar teacher and overall instructors of EEA Rocks, it's our job to tell those kids it's not true, you know? Just because one person says it, the only person that you need to prove wrong is yourself. So if you're doubting yourself, it's up to you to, you know, do something about it. Anybody else's doubt doesn't matter. Bringing up the, the concept of the imposter syndrome is really important. And if your kids are learning that from you, it's golden. How do you compensate when you're getting a group of kids together? How do you compensate for the range of abilities? Oh, we, we compensate. There is no compensating. <laughs> They're all we use, stellar. <laughs> we use them all. They're all incredible musicians. We even have like an 11-year-old who can sing with the 18-year-olds that we also have, you know? And they, they constantly blow us away. When we were picking some songs for this first session, John and I, we allowed the kids to kind of like pick their favorite songs. And then, and then we would and then we kind of that picked that list and comprised that list. I think this semester it's going to be a lot different where I think we should kind of do like a theme and kind of have the kids sort of pick a theme that they all kind of agree on and then follow that. The theme for last year was kind of like introductory. Let's get to know each other. Let's like play some music. Let's play some music. Basically, that was kind of like the theme. But I think it's super important that we showcase all of their abilities because they are all so talented. We had somebody who was a piano player. He didn't come to be a singer, but he said, hey, I can sing. And here's a song that I really like. And we're like, you want to sing that? And he said, yeah. So he sang it. He also said, I want to play the saxophone. So he played the saxophone. You know, it's the kids are constantly surprising us because they're, they're just so talented. There's really no compensation. We kind of had to compensate for ourselves because I was so surprised with their ability. And that's sort of something that I needed to learn. EEA rocks. We're not teachers in that. We act as teachers and we talk like teachers, but we're not teaching them how to play these songs. We're collaborating. We're telling them, hey, go learn this song this week and come back. And then we tweak it and then we perfect it and we make it tight. I didn't teach 
the drummer a single thing during this time. We would recommend things. We would recommend things that they should probably do. We also would try to, I'm sorry to- No, no, no. We would teach them things, obviously. That is what we do. But they would come in with what they have already prepared and we would work to improve it to something that can be performed. The other big thing is because we did have very, very talented kids and they were all really, really great musicians. The big thing was not only taking advantage of their strengths, but also challenging them because we didn't want to just give them things that they could do easily. We could have given them every three chord song known to man, but we didn't because we knew they could handle it. Now, John, you were just, you just mentioned talents and I was thinking, you know, I know you're a guitarist and a vocalist Mm -hmm. and a composer and a songwriter. And I wonder of all of those talents, if you could only keep one, which would it be? Well, that, that's actually a, that's a loaded question. I have been writing music pretty much since I could play the guitar. And for me, it all kind of goes hand in hand. It's all just music to me. It's all just being a musician. In the year 2021, we need to wear lots of different hats. I mean, for the music I make, I, I write it, I produce it, I record it, I market it, I do everything. When Nick and I were in a band together, we we did the same. We weren't just musicians. We were songwriters. We were our own managers. There's so many hats that we have to wear. I guess of all those abilities, I would just keep the guitar playing. But (laughs) the thing is, most guitarists write to some capacity. Most songwriters play an instrument because you can't just write a song without at least playing an instrument or singing. I mean, George Michael, he didn't really play piano or play an instrument, but he had an amazing ear. So he could sing everything that he wanted his musicians to do. So that's tough. I think it's all so interconnected. It's really kind of difficult to take one out. But to answer the question, I guess I would just say I would keep the guitar playing because it all comes from that for me. I know that you're a very prolific songwriter. Where is the beginning of a new song? Is it a piece of music? Is it a note? Is it a phrase in your head? Is it a lyric? It usually varies, but I've got a pretty set. I don't want to say formula, but there is a way that I write. I usually start with like a title or a hook or something I want to write about. And then it all kind of comes from there. You know, once I have a title and a hook, it's like, okay, or what story do I want to tell? That's been the big thing for me lately, um, because I felt that a lot of my music, I'm not always telling the stories I want to tell. So lately, that's been a big exercise for me is trying to figure out what stories I want to tell with my lyrics and um, how can I accentuate that with my music. So um, it always starts with the titles and hooks and the stories I want to tell. Usually I'll come up with melodies for those words just based on how the words feel how you say them so the melodies are usually similar to how you would say them if you were just speaking then coming up with the chords or any kind of accompaniment i also write a lot when i'm recording because sometimes i'll just record like a like an acoustic track or just like a drum and bass track but then i'll start adding layers and layers and to create something that's a little bit fuller songwriting is weird because every song is different like i can water it down to what i just told you but every single song is different. I mean, some songs start with a riff. Some songs start 
with just like a repeated loop of a chord progression that I like. Some songs start with a title. Some songs start with a day in my life where I just think, God, you know, I would love to write a song about that. So it, it's kind of different. But what I kind of laid out is pretty much the template. I know last June you began the singles project and your plan was to release a new single every month for a year. How's that? It's hard. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it's been, it's been good. Uh, I actually just released a new song today. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's called Tomorrowland. I collaborated uh, with a good friend of mine, Tom Schinkel on it. I wasn't prepared to talk about this, but I'll, I'll bring it up anyways. We just dropped the song today. It sounds great. It's actually a recording of a live performance him and I did. We set up microphones in his basement and we intended for the recording to be kind of in the style of like early folk, like Joni Mitchell and Simon and Garfunkel. We recorded it completely live. Him and I were both mic'd and my guitar had a few microphones on it and we just did it and sang it in harmony. We did a few takes, took the best one. And that's the one that's on Spotify and Apple Music. That's great. Looking forward to hearing that. If it's okay with you, we can add it to the end of this podcast. Nick here, who's one of the best drummers I've had the pleasure of working with, is actually going to be playing drums on the wide majority of a lot of the music I'm going to be releasing in the upcoming months. And Nick, what drew you to drums? And how old were you when you first started banging out rhythms? I got my first drum set when I was like three. So I was playing on that, just like a first act, $100 kit, just like in my parents' bedroom, not knowing what to do, just indiscriminately hitting everything and anything that I could with my drumsticks until we moved. And then we moved away. And uh, I don't know, somewhere along the line, that drum set got got lost. (laughs) I think it might have been on purpose. And... And, you I don't know, blame your mother at all. And so it, it took like a few years. And then I think I was probably like six or seven years old. And I went to a 4th of July party. And this 4th of July party had a live band. And I don't know what it was, if if I just liked the color of the drum set or whatever. It was just seeing a live drummer, it just drew me to it. And And that entire party, I stood behind the drummer the entire time because it was like a family friends band. So I just stood next to the drummer the entire time and I just watched him and I watched and my dad took notice. And that weekend he said to my mom, let's get him lessons. Let's get him a drum set. And within the next couple of months, I got a drum set, started taking lessons. And, you know, from there, it just was a matter of what more can I do with it? So then from there, it was private lessons on the drum set, then doing school band and trying to educate myself more and more in that. And then it was auditioning for the wind ensemble in high school, being like the only eighth grader from my school to make it into the band. It was just me constantly pushing myself to see what more I could do. And that's that's what I do to this day. Kathleen asked me when she first interviewed me, she's like, do you do any like hand percussion? And I said, I can. And And I went home and I did an extensive amount of research on hand percussion. And I brought one of the djembes from the school home and I just learned. And then a couple weeks later through Camp Good Grief, they asked me if I could lead a drum circle. So I did that and it was like a really rewarding experience. And it's just, like I said, it's just constantly trying to 
do more because now I'm getting really into a whole jazz kick because I, I've been a, I've been a metal drummer. I've done funk. I've done regular rock and roll. I've done alternative. Just a few was an, a crappy alternative band <laughs> for a long time until we went to college. And then we, we all decided, like, why are we still doing this when we all love to play funk? We all love to listen to funk. And then we just kind of I like to use just a few because just a few grew up with us until we kind of realized, you know, maybe we're just too old for just a few. And maybe it's time to be just, you know, Nick and John. And that's really like where we're at now. My brother played the Good drums <laughs> everywhere we were. He would be tapping his fingers or he would be hearing something or he would be creating it or responding to it. Does that happen? In it doesn't your happen too? in my head. It happens on the table. It happens on my leg. It happens. <laughs> and it does happen in my head too, when I like, it's really inappropriate to do it. And I think that's like part of that. I've able to channel that into my drumming. And it, and honestly, I can say it's made me a very, very good drummer because while people get mad at me for tipping and tapping, like during a test or something, I'm like, I'm just getting my skills better. Like, don't worry about me. <laughs> if somebody comes to you, if a student comes and they don't have a natural sense of rhythm, can they learn it? Or if they don't have a natural sense of rhythm, maybe they're, they don't even gravitate towards the drum. I think, like, I think it, I, it goes back to what I said about nurturing. And, you know, I think you can not have a good sense of rhythm and then develop it. I think it's going to be a lot harder for you. I teach kids, you know, not all of them have a natural sense of rhythm. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to be a bad drummer. It just means that if this is something you want to do, it's something that you're going to have to work a little harder toward. Like I tell all my students and my students range from like five to 11. And I talk to them like adults, not like with cursing and stuff, but I talk to them like adults. I say, you know, listen, you, I don't, I, I say to them, you know, I understand that life gets in the way and sometimes you don't have the time as a six-year-old to practice an hour a day for the drums. I just tell them, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And I tell them just 20 minutes every couple of days is all it takes. And it's just repetition. Drumming is a lot of repetition and muscle memory. And when you develop that muscle memory is when you start to develop that sense of rhythm. You know, I could tell you how fast 120 BPM is right now because I was a drum major in high school and they, they literally nailed it into my head. This is 120, you need to learn 120. And it's just little things the here and there that I've picked up that I definitely didn't have when I was three years old. I didn't have a great sense of rhythm. I had a good ear but I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't bust out Neil Peart right off the bat. I still can't. <laughs> this is it's a uh, little easier. I know this was a, this is Nick's time to shine, but I, I, I got his permission to yeah. say a thing on this and it's okay. Um, the thing about music and this is a, the thing about music is that yes, there are people who pick it up better than others, but it's the same with anything else. There are some people who pick things up better than others, but at the end of the day, Music is not a talent you are born with. Music is a skill that is learned. It is not some crazy magical talent. While it may seem that to some, it is a skill same as carpentry, same as plumbing. It is a skill that you learn and perfect over time. And some people pick it up better than others, but at the end of the day, anybody can do it if they put in some kind of time and effort. That's really why I really hate the word protege, because like, just because 
you can play a drum beat when you're three years old. It doesn't mean that like you can ride off of that for the rest of your life. If you're still playing that same beat when you're three years old as you are when you're 23 years old, then that protege or protegism or whatever the word is, it's all BS. I've seen a lot of musicians who are like, oh, I have perfect pitch. And it's like, cool. So do something with it. I don't care if you can, if I can play the piano and you can say, oh, that's an A. Like, cool, great. Do something with it then. You know, there was this one guy, he's a YouTube drummer. His name's Kobus. It, I remember when I was like 11 and 12 years old watching his YouTube videos and he was this cocky guy saying, oh, I'm a self-taught drummer, oh, this, 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 and that. And if you really want to boil it down, everybody is a self-taught drummer, but nobody is a self-taught drummer. Because you can say you're self-taught, but you're going to tell me you weren't listening to music and listening to the drum beat that the that Neil Peart was playing or listening to some Travis Barker or going on YouTube and watching drum covers. You're constantly learning from other people, you know, but also doing right. it yourself, taking your own initiative and doing, you know, just because a person is taking drum lessons doesn't mean they can't also be self-taught. You know, there's a lot of things that I've learned on my own. I haven't taken a drum lesson since I was 17 and I'm still constantly learning today. And I think I'm a better drummer now than I was when I was taking lessons when I was 17. And that's just because I take it upon myself to go out there and make my skills better. The way that you know you've done your job as a teacher is when you have taught your students to teach themselves. And for any listeners who uh, haven't signed your kids up or any children who haven't had their parents sign them up for EEA Rocks, do it! You know, don't be discouraged because you haven't signed up yet. We've had late entries. We don't mind. You have to catch up. You got to do some work. But don't be intimidated because you weren't there from week one. I think that you're both clearly really good teachers because aside from your technical skills, you both have a really solid way of looking at the big picture and to infuse that into an education where you're telling them that music isn't just a talent, it's a skill that you can develop. And I would also have to say, there is some magic to it. If you, you know, anytime, if you've ever been on stage performing in front of people, if you've ever been in the audience watching someone perform, you know there's something really special. And the idea that the two of you are passing this on to other people is just spectacular. But while we're talking about sharing, John, I would like you to introduce the latest cut from the singles project. Called Tomorrowland. I do not need to know tomorrow's craze Cause all that's promised is today And I'm not gonna wait, I won't be bored I'll set some goals, but time can be ignored All I know now that I want you here Why should we worry about tomorrow's fears I don't want to go
I like to think that we are young and bold Not young and stupid like we're told Cause I've done a lot for only 22 And little that I've done compares to you hope you've enjoyed this episode of EEA Talks, engaging and insightful conversations with the artists that are at the heart and soul of East End Arts. Find out more at eastendarts.org, where you can also share, rate, and subscribe to EEA Talks. I'm Cindy Clifford. Thanks for listening.